When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Extra Awesome, a series of bonus episodes from Sorta Awesome designed to bring even more awesome into your life. Last June, my friend and Enneagram enthusiast, Lee Kramer, came on Sorta Awesome as a guest co-host for episode 12 of the show. Since that time, we've had lots of questions and discussion about the Enneagram in our community. I invited Lee to come back to the show to tackle a few of your questions about the Enneagram approach to understanding personality types. Today, we'll be talking about what the arrows indicate for each type, what to do when we can't seem to figure out our Enneagram types, and what it means if you find yourself drawn to certain types more than others. All of that coming up on this episode of Extra Awesome. Hello, awesomes. Well, it has been almost a year since my dear friend Lee Kramer came on Sorta Awesome to talk about the Enneagram. Now, that was back in episode 12 of the show. And since that episode aired, we have had tons of great follow-up discussion about this ancient system of understanding people and their personalities. So, Lee, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back. I'm happy that people want to talk more about the Enneagram. Yes, I would love to talk to you about this anytime. And so we have some really great specific questions about the Enneagram from the awesome community that we're going to get to in just a moment. But for anybody who has not listened to episode 12 of the show, who has never really heard of the Enneagram system, what would you say is sort of the best overview of the Enneagram system for somebody who is not familiar with how all of this works? So the Enneagram is the study of the nine basic types of people, explains why we behave the way that we do, and it provides a pathway for individual growth. So people may be familiar with the symbol, which is a circle um, connecting the nine types. The goal of the Enneagram is that as we grow, we'll embody more of our types' positive qualities and less of the negative qualities, and we'll be able to move around the circle and be our best selves. That's right. Yes. That's one thing that I love so much about the Enneagram. And I mentioned this on episode 12 when Lee and I first kind of broke down the system and talked about all of the different um, aspects of Enneagram is that the Enneagram is so geared towards understanding ourselves in a way that propels us into healthiness, into really good personal growth. Whereas Myers-Briggs, which I love and, and talk about all the time, is much more about just understanding how you interact with the world around you 
there is not that heavy emphasis on personal growth that we find in the Enneagram. So Lee, you know that we asked in the awesome community in the Hangout group for some questions about the Enneagram that we could tackle on today's episode of Extra Awesome. Now, we had a ton of questions about both (laughs) wings and arrows. That seems to be something that comes up so often. Lee, I'm just so curious how often you get asked about this wings question. What are the wings and what do I, how do I figure out what my wing is? Oh, all all the time. (laughs) (laughs) People get very confused about wings and arrows and, and I, I understand it. It's a lot of information to take in. I always emphasize that you need to understand how your type actually works, how it plays out in the in the day-to-day before you start delving into the rest of the system. Right. So step one really is to discover, explore the system to where you feel confident in what your actual type is before you even begin to worry about the yes. wings part of the system. Okay. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Um, so with wings... Uh, the best the best way to describe it is that the wings are the numbers that flank your type. So if you are a four like me, then your wings will be three and five. So you, in order to be truly balanced, you take on the strengths of your wings. I am going to say something slightly sacrilegious in the Enneagram circles and say that wings are not that important. Aha! Uh-huh. You don't hear many people <laughs> saying that in the Enneagram no. community, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think there is a value in knowing more about both of your wings. So I'm not saying don't learn anything about it, but that it's not as important as a lot of people say. So a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm a three wing four. And they lead with that instead of saying I'm type three. So knowing your wing or knowing even which wing is more dominant is just a way of pinpointing your personality a little more kind of like your Myers-Briggs type sure you know but the whole point of wings is to take on the strengths of both so being more dominant in one is actually showing you that you are a little unhealthy and that you need to have both in order to be balanced that is so interesting to me because as you know I'm a type nine and I have really never been able to fully settle am I a nine wing eight or a nine wing one because I can see so much of myself in sort of both of those descriptions. So that <laughs> actually makes me feel better. Like maybe I'm a little more balanced <laughs> than I thought I was. Yes. So, <laughs> so for people who have questions about the wings aspect of the Enneagram, what we're going to do is this. Lee has volunteered her time and wisdom and knowledge to the awesome community. And she is going to share more in depth about the wings in this week's edition of the Sorta Awesome newsletter. Many, many, many of you are subscribers to the newsletter already, but if you have not subscribed, go to tinyletter.com slash Sorta Awesome, sign up for the newsletter because you're going to be hearing more about Lee on this topic of wings in this week's newsletter. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. We all appreciate it so much. Now, the other aspect of it that we got a lot of questions about is the arrows. What are the arrows in the Enneagram system? How do they work? And what is the point of that aspect of um, understanding who you are in your type? I have to say, I love the arrows. This might be my most favorite part of how the Enneagram works. Um, Once you know how your type functions, which includes the unhealthy tendencies, um, you can explore when you are being healthy or unhealthy and see how it manifests itself through your arrows. Um, So besides wings, um, each type is connected to two other types via the arrows. When you are healthy and balanced, you move toward your arrow of integration um, and you take on the positive quality of that type. And it goes in a very specific order, 
which I will try to say in a slow manner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one moves towards seven, five, eight, two, four, one. And then there is uh, three, six, nine, three. Okay. Then you have the reverse direction, uh, which would be your arrow of disintegration. And that shows how you respond when you're stressed or unbalanced. Um, so this is what happens when your usual way of dealing with stress doesn't work anymore. Um, so you then take on the unhealthy quality of that type. So this would go from one to four, two, eight, five, seven, one, and then three, nine, six, three. And then I can give a more specific example um, so we can see how this plays out with type eight. Yes. Yeah. Type eight. Okay. So how would arrows work for a type eight? So we're going to, we're going to start with the positive. Um, eight's moving toward type two when they're healthy. So moving toward type two is the arrow of integration. So from the two, eights learn how to open their hearts and reconnect with how much they care about people. Now, if people remember eights, if they know any eights, they may think of uh, really powerful, dominant, strong personalities. They can become very aggressive. Uh, they really don't want anyone else to control them. So they kind of are from a different, more aggressive stance. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I know what some people call eights and we won't say that here, but <laughs> we can all, we can all think it. Okay. Okay. So I, I love, I love my eight friends. So yes. it's not we need our eights in the world the for sure. We need their passion and their fire for sure. Yeah. So uh, when an eight is so when an eight's healthy, then that means they're moving towards two. They don't become twos. Not they're twos, right? But their arrows moving that way, so they're taking those um, those sort of like maybe nurturing people, loving qualities from the two, and incorporating that into their actions and the way they're seeing the world. Is that right? Absolutely. So yes, they we see them becoming more nurturing and caring, especially with children and pets. It's really common to see eights who are just wonderful with kids. You see this really soft side of their personality come out. And sometimes it's it's almost surprising when you think of how they can interact with other people. It's it's really beautiful when, when you can see that. So when an eight is integrating toward type two, they're letting go of their usual defenses and they're trusting in something beyond their own power. So it's not just that they're taking on those positive qualities, but there's this um, sense of relinquishing that they don't oh. have to approach the world in such a dominant, controlling way. They can trust in the relationships that they have and in, in themselves and that they don't have to respond to the world the way that they usually do. Okay, I love so that. It's a, it's a huge sign of health to be able to recognize that and to see that you actually become um, more effective in realizing that um, the boundaries and limitations that are in place are actually helping them nurture themselves and accept vulnerability in their lives. You might see the health and sense of well-being improve. They're still working hard, but they're also making a space for practicing self-care and then they actually end up becoming even better leaders than they already are because they have that better relationship with the people around them. So that's eight moving in the direction of integration. Now, when an yes. eight gets stressed, when they're moving in unhealthy or disintegration ways, what number do they move towards and what does that look like for an eight? 
they disintegrate toward type five. So when eights feel overwhelmed, they've taken up more than they can handle, they will retreat from conflicts, which is definitely not their normal MO, very opposite. So they will retreat in order to strategize by time, gather strength, um, they might become more solitary, they will insist on having time, space, and privacy to figure things out before they can jump back into action, which on the surface may seem healthy, but it's it's really not because once an eight starts retreating, it snowballs on itself and they will become overly preoccupied with projects and problems. They can become hermit-like, um, which is definitely a quality of very unhealthy fives. And they're only focusing on the task at hand. They might neglect to eat, sleep, interact with other people. They can become more high-strung like average fives. They can also become very cynical and then even uh, contemptuous of beliefs and values that they don't hold. Okay. So we see a lot of these unhealthy behaviors manifesting themselves. Right. Well, I love that practical application for type A. And every single type has arrows of integration and disintegration. Mm -hmm. And if you go to a resource like the Enneagram Institute or an Enneagram book, you can find out more information about your specific type, what directions you're moving as you're moving in healthy ways, and how you're moving in unhealthy patterns. So that's really a great overview of how arrows work. So Lee, I wanted to take some of these questions from the Hangout community and kind of toss them at you and see what you might have to share with, um, with some of our awesomes who had these great questions for us. So for example, Lori in the hangout group said, I am a one, which remind us of what the one type is known as. The ones tend to be known as the teachers, or sometimes they are called the perfectionists. Okay. All right. So Lori's mm -hmm. a one and she says, I would love some tips to file away to move toward growth. Again, like I said, this is the beauty of the Enneagram is it propels us towards growth. So she said, when I'm feeling too stuck in my ways, I tell myself be a seven. But I wonder if there are specific things to focus on for a one relating to growth. What would you have to say for Lori? Well, first I, I had had to laugh because this is such a one kind of question. This is so, it's very, very typical. I mean, ones want to be perfect. And so they will often approach any personality system with the intent of being the best ah, one yes. or the best, whatever their type is. Uh -huh. uh, so there's that part of it. But yes, there's definitely a lot of practical things that ones can do. And I, uh, one thing that I always tell my type one friends is that they need to recognize and make peace with their inner judge. Mm. which is also known as their superego. Okay. So the one's prevailing superego message is you are good or okay if you do what is right. Uh-huh, yes. And this plays out in very critical uh, ways in their head. So that inner judge is always, always talking, the inner critic, um, like just nitpicking every single thought, action, what they've said, some people are more self-critical, other people are more critical of others. There's a whole continuum. So making peace with, with that inner judge or just recognizing it at first and seeing how it affects their sense of well-being um, and how they connect with their environment. Super, super important. Ones are strivers, partially because they have such distinct opinions on the best way to do something. It's really hard for them to relinquish control and let others help, but that is... Um, makes it all the more important for them to let other people help them. Even if they do things differently, it may not be up to your standards, but you can still learn something from that. Um, even if it's just noticing how you feel when someone is doing something that isn't the way that you think that it should be done. There's still a chance to grow and to learn from that. And, and it 
maybe it's not the way you do it, but maybe it would help you consider it differently. And maybe it would actually be better, which sounds a little crazy on the surface. I know I can hear all the ones being like, what? (laughs) Not possible. But you, you never know. And it also helps one's practice focusing on the positive in what others do. A compliment from a one goes a long, long, long way, especially yes. because people are more used to to their criticism. I mean, I have a, a dear loved one in my life, and when they offer me a compliment, I feel like I'm flying because uh, right. it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> it must be true <laughs> if you're saying it. And then she mentioned, you know, what can she learn from type seven? So one's integrate toward type seven. Uh, The healthy seven helps the one learn to be more spontaneous. They can relax their guard and feel comfortable with whatever situation they're in. Um, Sevens also teach ones to be more curious, more optimistic, and more interested in learning, especially from other people. Um, So ones who are integrating to seven are more able to relate to others' perspectives and recognize how much depth um, this adds to their own views. So with that, you can see how it kind of correlates and pairs with how a one can grow but then there are those specific things that sevens have to offer sevens are more spontaneous and joyful optimistic people now they have their weaknesses as well so that goes back to you integrate toward the positives of that type but and for um, a one it's not about being a seven like she kind of her self-talk is like hey be a seven it's not about actually trying to emulate and and try to act as if you were a seven it's taking those positive things and incorporating it yeah recognizing when when that happens recognizing when they are more curious and they're more optimistic and they're more interested in learning from other people to be like oh like i can see that the seven is playing out like right now in this moment i'm healthy and balanced because these things are manifesting themselves in my life exactly yes that's so great and for all of the types again any enneagram resource is going to have specific ways that are specific characteristics of each type in their healthiest states i know sometimes mm-hmm. i go back and look at enneagram institute again it's free you can look at it quickly anytime you need to and i look at the healthy levels for type 9 for myself and i think yes. in what ways am i reflecting this and in what ways am I, can I grow towards this? Yes. And keeping those, those ideas in mind, like that's part of seeing your type play out in the day to day of, of being like, Oh, today I'm in the average levels. Um, now at these moments, like, Whoa, I, I handled this a little differently. I can see more health and strength playing out in my life today and kind of just trying to moment by moment choose you know, a different, healthier way of responding the way, you know, different from how we normally do, which is we get used to those patterns and behaviors. And it, it takes time to adopt new or healthier ways of, of coping with life. That's what's so great about Enneagram is it kind of tells you specifically, like it's not one size fits all. It looks at how your brain and heart and soul are wired to work and saying, here's what healthy looks like for you. So yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move on because another very frequently asked question that I see people struggle with is when they're stuck between two or maybe even sometimes three types trying to decide what type am I? In fact, Lee, when you did the flashcards 
uh, sort of test would be the flashcards mm-hmm. way of figuring out a type. I was an exact even split between seven and nine. And mm-hmm. through talking with you, landed on, okay, I actually really fully am a nine. So we have a couple of questions about that I wanted to go over mm-hmm. really quickly. For example, Tara said, I would love it if Lee could talk about being stuck between two types. I'm stuck between a four and a five. I could make an argument for both. She says, I know Lee struggled with deciding if she was a two or four. So maybe she could talk a bit about how she landed on four. And then Nicole had a similar question. She said that she had listened to episode 12 with you, Lee, and that she did some digging into it. She took a test. She scored almost identically in three different types. So what Mm -hmm. would your advice be when it's time to sort of narrow down and figure out what type am I actually? Because I think this is a pretty common thing that when you start to look at the profiles, maybe you take a test, you can see yourself in a couple of different types. It's not always Mm -hmm. glaringly obvious. Right. And, And I would hope, especially the older you are, once you start exploring the Enneagram, that at least a few types would would resonate with you because I think that speaks to being healthier and more self-aware and how interconnected the types are. Like there should be parts of almost every type that should um, that you should relate to on some level, but there will be only one type that is your core type that you operate out of. And figuring that out um, really comes down to thinking about what's most true of you most of the time which is the question I would ask my clients when I was still coaching. Like, yes, maybe you see this play out sometimes. And yes, maybe this quality sometimes. But on a day-to-day basis, what is really happening? What is most true? And then also looking at the core struggles of each type is is important. The core struggles um, and the desires. So if you look at those, I think that can be really clarifying. I know for me, I so I read... I read a book. Um, I read Richard Rohr's The Enneagram, and that's where I was first trying to figure out my type. And I was landing between type two, four, and nine, and I and I eliminated nine pretty pretty early on. Um, and then I was trying to go between type two and type four. Um, I was still a social worker at the time, so type two, the helper, seemed to make sense. Also, women are socialized to be twos, so there was a lot of stuff that it was like, yeah, I, I can see that in me. But when I looked at the core struggle, for the two, it's pride. For the four, it's envy. And when I really thought about it, and I really thought about my orientation to the world, I was like, I, I'm actually, like, I don't need to be needed like a two, Okay, I've, I've always had really good boundaries. I don't insert myself into people's problems. I like that's just not not my MO. I'm not seeking seeking those things out. But when I looked at the four and I thought about envy in comparison and I thought about how fours will retreat, they can be very moody. They're one of the like the driving desires is to have personal significance and to think that people wouldn't notice my uniqueness or how special I am or that they wouldn't want to make time for me or to feel invisible. Like that is my, one of my biggest fears. And it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty clearly a four, (laughs) (laughs) but it does take, it takes a lot of self-awareness and it takes some time to consider, you know, what, what is really true of you. I would never, before taking, you know, figuring all this out, I wouldn't have said like, yes, envy in comparison is at the root of my problems. I wouldn't have thought about that. But once, once I identify my type, I was like, oh yeah, I can see that thread throughout my life. Like it's very much there. So it's given me a a language for, for my behaviors and motivations that I, that I didn't have before. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I've learned from you in just our conversations about it is it sometimes is a little bit more of a process to discover what your true core type is. 
And I think that's because of how complex our motivations are. Sure, like, yes. How often can you look at your at yourself and be like, oh, I'm behaving this way because I'm really motivated by this fear. Right, right, <laughs> yes. Not many of us are aware <laughs> of that on a conscious level. <laughs> <It'll>... <laughs> Most of us probably aren't. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, looking at how that, how those three, like looking at the two or three types and see how they play out um, day to day for a while. Either one will will rise to the top or, or none will. And then you'll just go back to the drawing board. That is such great advice. Well, we have one more question from someone in the Hangout group. Catherine asked about when you are drawn to certain types. So she's a type nine, like I am. And she said, after reading through all the descriptions and having some of my people take the quick assessment for the Enneagram, I found out that my dad, my husband, and my best friend are all sixes. Is it common for certain types to link up or is this just a weird coincidence? I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I feel like my friends are, uh, I have everyone in the Enneagram represented in my life. I don't know that I have any one type represented more than others, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Lee. Yes, I love this question. This is a really fun, a fun one to answer and one that I don't know that anyone has ever asked me. So it's really great. Uh, So this is more anecdotal, but it's really common for spouses to marry their wing types. Oh, interesting. Uh, you complement each other. And I think the same is true for arrows. So nines and sixes are connected by arrows. Sixes move toward type nine when they're integrating. Nines disintegrate toward type six. And so you already have some common things. I guess it, it's easier maybe for sixes to move toward type nine or to befriend a nine because they want to emulate some of those qualities and maybe the nine will see things in the sixes that they'll be like steer away from (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but there's still a lot that you can learn from each other and and I think that is a really natural gravitation I know in in my life my dad is a one and my mom is a two and those are my arrows so I integrate toward type one as a four and I disintegrate, disintegrate toward type two. And so it's been really interesting to see like how I am. I am like literally a product of my parents. Right. <laughs> yes. So I think we do see those, those little patterns here and there. Some, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And I, I don't think it's a weird coincidence. I just think it's a really, uh, really neat thing to see play out and, yeah, just so much we can learn from each other. Definitely, there is, whether it is in romantic relationships, friendships, family dynamics. Oh my goodness, does the Enneagram unlock so much about family dynamics? It's been truly helpful in my life in so many ways. So I know that people are going to have some follow-up questions for you, Lee, or maybe just want to continue the conversation a little bit more on social media. So if you could just remind us really quickly where we can find you all around the web. I'm sure my blog is leekramer.com. I'm on Twitter at, at hopefully, L-E-I-G-H. And uh, those are probably the best ways to reach me. Okay, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some more Enneagram wisdom with us. I have a feeling this won't be your last time coming on the show to talk (laughs) Enneagram because there are always more questions for you and for your wisdom about this topic and your passion for this topic as well. So thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you all back next time. Thanks for listening to Extra Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at SortaAwesomeShow.com. Don't forget you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SortaAwesomeMeg. And you can follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SortaAwesome. Until next time, stay awesome, my friends.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.